Welcome to Cooking Notes with me, Julie Smith. And this week I'm playing with pickles in the artisan kitchen of EcoChef and Green TV presenter James Strawbridge, whose BBC series It's Not Easy Being Green with his dad, Dick Strawbridge, of Escape to the Chateau fame, was way ahead of its time. Green was the new black, you know, it's kind of trendy, everything was eco. And I then it stopped being cool and I didn't really leave that um, <laughs> that trend. I sort of kept living it as though it was still on, on point. But before we catch up with James in Deepest Cornwall, let's hear more about this month's sponsor. Montezuma's is Britain's greatest little chocolate company and they believe that their beautifully produced and packaged chocolate is positively good for the planet. Montezuma comes in an array of unusual flavours so you can get really creative in the kitchen. Montezuma's experts have one key tip when it comes to cooking with chocolate. The better the quality of your ingredients, the better your dish will taste. And that's why Montezuma's only ever uses the best quality, ethically sourced ingredients. For a rich chocolate hit, opt for a high cocoa percentage, such as the Fitzroy 74% dark chocolate bar, which is perfect for hot chocolates, tarts and brownies. While those wanting an indulgent dessert should try Montezuma's creamy white chocolate buttons, which are fantastic for cookies, cheesecakes and blondies. The company is known for creating the finest and most eclectic flavours around, as well as products to suit all dietary requirements, including vegan, zero sugar and milk chocolate alternative like no udder, meaning everyone can be a star baker with Montezuma's. Now, reading through James Strawbridge's book, The Artisan Kitchen, I spotted a bit of a link between hipster chic and fermentation. And I just had to ask James, why do dudes with tattoos feel the need to make sourdough? OK, well, for me, I'm, I'm like a, a self-confessed uh, poldark hipster. So it's a slightly different breed <laughs> down in Cornwall where we're not necessarily um, at the cutting edge of fashion. But I've, I've grown up um, farming and growing food, living sustainably. And I happen to really like tattoos. Um, and I've even got a highly embarrassing top knot because my hair's at that, at that length now. So, yes, I'd say there is this trend for sort of men, women, people who like craft beer um, and um, slow food. And I think that there's a correlation between maybe what we grew up eating and then a slight rebellious, disruptive streak where I really like rediscovering what my grandparents' generation were doing um, and it's a bit like the Britpop era. It's kind of a slightly two fingers up at the system and saying, you know what, I don't want your mass produced, quick, easy convenience food. I want to do it myself. So there's there's a slightly rebellious edge to it, I think. But generally, um, you know, I'm a, I've got three three young children living in Cornwall in the middle of nowhere. So I wouldn't describe myself as a, you know, a Shoreditch, Dalston, trendy kind of hipster. I'm, I'm you know, Cornish. You're the chef. real deal. Oh, well, I, I, I hope so. I kind of... I, I walk the talk, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it is brilliant, actually. If we need people to change the way that they eat to save the planet, then you're it. You're a very good role model for that because it is. People are. Uh, they're persuaded by cool, aren't they? The the, the storyline has to be, let's do this because it's cool. Yeah. Um, but we actually do really need people to eat and cook the way that you do because it's incredibly low on the carbon footprint using traditions that are centuries old not just decades old and it really does make a difference doesn't it it's it, it runs through your blood it's how you were brought up yeah i mean i think there's 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 sort of the um scared um extinction rebellion inspired um soapbox environmentalists who would love to berate the public for being rubbish and and i'm very much i've grown up with a slightly different perspective where rather than just pointing the finger i, I want to try and a 
live by example that I, I kind of want other people to learn and teach a bit but also understand that it's not easy for everybody to switch their diet to change their energy consumption it kind of takes little changes and something like the artisan kitchen and kind of small things you do in your kitchen can make a massive impact and i think if you can make it taste good keep people positive and smiling in a in an era of doom and gloom and with with a young family it's kind of i don't want my kids to grow up afraid of of the garden or of the environment it's almost we go foraging um we went hazelnuts yesterday we're going to make a sort of a cob nut um chocolate spread and it's kind of they're getting that firsthand at the same time they're picking up acorns to to plant in the back garden which is just an end of terrace so it's not a farm small holding mansion like i did used to live in one which was great um but it's very much like small things we can all do um bite-sized tasty positive and i think if you start doing some of those things, then it's this snowball effect where I you know, was very lucky years and years ago, started um, rearing pigs, having uh, you know, a water wheel, being quite eco. And it was very much at that time, um, like green was the new black, you know, it's kind of trendy, everything was eco. And I then it stopped being cool and I didn't really leave that, um, <laughs> that trend. I sort of kept living it as though it was still on, on point. And actually, nobody said nobody you told me, but I see it's Cornwall, <laughs> you know, we're a bit behind, but, um, but now it's come back round full circle where, yeah, sustainable food and zero waste is on trend. For me, it's kind of, it's never gone out of, of, of fashion for me personally, but, and that's what I'm really pleased to be able to write about and share. And, and it's kind of, we, we home educate the kids and it's kind of that becomes a model for teaching myself things I don't know. Um, and then always in my sort of writing and, and chef work, trying to experiment and have fun, really. Yeah. And it is fun, isn't it? I mean, you talk about foraging for hazelnuts with the kids. Kids love it, don't they? Were you doing that as a very young child with your dad, Dick Strawbridge? Yeah. I mean, we we sort of um, grew up. Uh, my dad was in the army. He was um sort of meant we moved around a lot as a family and we were quite an unusual um armed sort of forces family because we had goats in our back garden um which um annoyed the neighbors a bit and we had chickens and all of our vegetables first thing we do nice you know army quarters with pristine lawns we dig up the lawn we'd sow our vegetables <laughs> and um that was very much culture I grew up with my dad has obviously always been um uh, self-confident i suppose the polite way of putting it <laughs> just where, a bit <laughs> yeah and it's Heath robinson he'll make it and build it and bodge it and i kind of i've got that i think with food um i'm a little bit more of a geek a bit more studious he he generally will just you know shove it in the oven low and slow and hope for the best and generally tastes fantastic uh for me i'm a little bit more uh, refined with my cookery but I've also learned from him that it doesn't need to be complicated to taste good. Um, mm. And then loads of other influences in my family, you know, grandparents on both sides. Uh, my mum always doing sort of good home, home cooking. I think, um, I think being self-taught is a big difference than classically trained chefs because it's kind of, for me, all been down to the ingredients and the suppliers and producing everything from scratch. Um, which I don't think uh, they're trying to do it more in college and stuff now, but mm. it is quite a unique um, sort of intro to cooking. Um, and I think it, it kind of I'm really lucky because it does free me up of a lot of those ingrained, slightly wasteful practices. But equally, well-functioning kitchens will always make stocks from all the bones and carcasses. They'll take yeah. the peelings that, you know, so it is very much a it can be a zero waste 
um, environment. Yeah. It just takes a bit more effort. Um, and I think some people have got a bit detached from the value of the, of the scraps, really. Yeah, I mean, you got your hands really dirty. I mean, we watched you in the TV series, It's Not Easy Being Green, you know, really, really living the life, um, you know, raising the pigs, um, letting them root around naturally for, for the food from the ground and then taking them to the abattoir and then turning it into sausages. We we watched you do that. You You have been doing that for a long time. It makes sense to you. You talk about the happy pig. Um, you know, that's the message, isn't it? To to reconnect with where food comes from, to really understand the process. And only then do we start thinking twice about eating factory farmed food and its impact on the land. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of a... Um it's about where the food comes from, so the source and how it's it's reared or grown, and that then gives you value and respect for it, which isn't just you know buying something organic from a, a supermarket that costs an extra couple of quid, and and that's harder to distinguish. Why am I paying this? But if you've done it yourself, you've got this first hand grasp that it takes a hell of a lot of effort to to you know get your turkeys ready for Christmas and and let them in and out every morning and evening, and it's kind of the the hard grind around sort of um slow food is is a really is a real physical thing so for me that then gives me a a pride and almost i have an obligation to make it bloody tasty because <laughs> if it's not tasty then what, what's been the point in all of that hard work someone's put in so i think it's i don't feel the same pressure that lots of uh, restaurant chefs will have with a customer mine is um more for my family or friends or even for myself it's got to taste worthy of the ingredient because I sort of feel that in today's climate, the unsung you know, heroes are very much those local food heroes that go in and out of fashion on TV shows. But every day there's someone out there milking goats or, um, you know, feeding the, the, the Cornish black pigs over over the river in Foy. It's kind of there's people doing the hard work um, and grafting and then chefs it's our, and home cooks. It's our job just to make it taste good. And that's kind of I think sometimes it gets dressed up as, you know, the kitchen brigade, the regiment is like all very serious it's like it is if you want to execute it the same each time but for me artisan food is about um you know not necessarily consistency it's about safety yes and it's about uh quality but it's about having a bit of an individual celebration every time you cook and that's what i love i just get a real buzz out of of cooking everything <laughs> which is yeah. that makes my job quite fun yeah inside outside and you know I, I love that kind of outdoor cooking side of it as well and the diving for for your food and the foraging in the woods and all that sort of st stuff that really kind of makes it very real and very very enjoyable not just for you for, for everyone around you let's go into your food moments yeah. um you you start with the, the recipe actually right at the end of the book the kebab the rotisserie um shawarma um why did you choose that one of all the moments in the whole book well, for me, it's it's kind of um, there. There is something magical about science and food coming together, um, where you're sort of self basting a, a marinated, beautiful piece of meat um, that then provides what we're used to as being like pretty, pretty sort of low quality takeaway food like in terms of you know you don't know the the source of say a donna kebab it's very questionable what's in that but it's kind of if you take goat um we've got october coming up so goatober and you're using this sustainable meat that i sort of can get down here it's always free range it's it's sort of 
um, slightly underutilized, but it's fantastic. And then by marinating it and turning it slowly, you end up transforming it into something that's like comfort food. It's It's got all of those different flavor profiles, and I love it. Um, and I think in that section, there's actually one small picture, which was a chicken on the rotisserie as well, that was wrapped in hay that had been soaked in cider. So it's proper West Country, um, whole chickens on, on a spit, um, that then the hay, the, the sweetness and, and sort of dry cider, all of that as it turns as well. It's kind of, for me, it's it's the opposite of mechanised, um, mass-produced, but it does involve that ingenuity that people came up with, which is dead simple. Open fire, turn something, and it tastes incredible. So it was really, yeah, it's just something that... Um, very feel good going into autumn winter something i heavily recommend people try yeah it wasn't always so though you do actually admit that as a teenager you need to help yourself to a bit of a kebab you know after the pub um do, do you kind of look back and think oh my god what was i eating or do you just kind of put it down to the way things well I, yeah i think um i think that there's kind of in people's past before they know what they know now you can always be embarrassed or think slightly you know could I have done better? I think that I don't tend to look at my past with rose rose tinted sort of, oh, I should have been eating this or should have been doing that because I was on a, a journey and I was learning skills that I've now sort of gained. But it was quite hard to find teachers to show me these things. So that's where over the years I've, I've have, you know, taught myself a lot by reading right you know studying uh traveling and seeing how people are doing things in, around the uk and, and other places in the world getting that inspiration and then almost forging it into my own textbook that i want to live my life by so i don't regret the kebabs i do in principle <laughs> regret some of them but it was almost like you know i was young and there wasn't the same number of free range you know trendy hipster kebab trucks yeah. outside uh, nightclubs so i think um if I had a choice and I went back now, I might, you know, have done more cooking as a young person. But um, that's something hopefully I'll be able to teach my children and maybe they won't have made quite the same mistakes. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your second food moment, again, something impossibly idyllic, the way that you describe it, the clam bake. Yeah. I've, Tell us about the seaweed oh, diving. OK, so it's clam baking. I first did this... Um, <laughs> Oh, seven or eight years ago. Um, and it was actually with my dad on uh, the Isle of uh, Jersey, which was sort of, and it's a New England thing. It's it's a super cool, simple technique. You dig a big hole, you line it with rocks, you make a big fire, and then you put seaweed and shellfish and, and beautiful food inside it, cover it up and wait for it to cook. Now, the this particular one in, in the Arsene kitchen, what made it particularly funny was um, the beach um, is stunning. It's sort of down a little track and a cove. So I had to lug my cooking gear because I also did a couple of other recipes down there. All the way down the hill, put, put on my wetsuit, went out, uh, beautiful weather, went diving for some seaweed, uh, dug a hole. And it was all you know going really, really well. But I'd arranged for my wife, Holly, and our three children to come down uh, in the afternoon, sort of after after their day to come and eat the food and as a chef you know what it when you when you're timing service ready you know for a certain time that's the time you're ready <laughs> so i i was well prepared everything was bang on schedule um which given it's live fire and it's lobsters and mussels and things that's not too straightforward um and then I, where are my children they're not here to say where and i was like this is so annoying so i i was just waiting i was like well i've got to shoot soon we're losing the light 
the food's ready and I don't want overcooked lobster, you know. So, and it was very much then like I saw them coming and it's like, thank goodness they're all here. We sat down, the children helped me dig, dig out the sand and the seaweed um, and we all tucked in. And I think there's something about having young people eat mussels or, or oysters or, or, you know, just cob and potato straight off off a fire where they're not like that looks weird they're just you know the smell the um it was very much like a a wonderful family celebration which sort of the book producing a book is quite tough and quite hard work but having having family able to eat some of the dishes makes it worthwhile so it's a clam bake is if you live near a beach or even if you're on holiday it's just super cool fun thing to do um it takes yeah digging in the sand to new levels It's a fantastic story. It is part of it's when eating is part of an experience. It's not just invited to sit around a table and just get on with it or something to fuel up. It's it's a whole experience that makes it so memorable. Your third food moment. Now, the beginning of the book are all about fermentations and chutneys, and uh, when we'll go into the harvest chutney in a minute. The fermentation, why is this so important? Uh, it goes back a little bit to what you were talking about, health and safety as well. Why, where does that fit into your kitchen? I think for me, it's kind of, um, it comes down to sort of all round sort of holistic health and, and well-being. Now, gut health and bacteria having live foods, we've been aware of that since, you know, live yoghurt, everyone's sort of been quite keen on on consuming these little bacteria um but i think there was this whole sort of desert period where no one really was thinking about eating living food to give you a good natural balance and also not understanding the the flavor distinction of that sour tang and and the wonderful nature that plays when you're eating on your palate so i think i kind of uh really came into it from a um chef's perspective first around flavors but then also a you know you've got a young family they say go swimming and you've got you know highly chlorinated water in a swimming pool or something and then you think okay well we don't want to you know just let them be you know harassed by loads of chemicals you've got to rebalance with natural stuff so um fermentation is kind of um pickles um garnish to begin with um, but then it became really at home over the last few years, very much almost because we've got a small house. It's a bit of a culture of having things to look after that then look after you, which sounds silly. But there's and I'm not saying we give every single ferment a name, but as a family, we've got, you know, Bubbly Mummy, which is the sourdough starter. Um, we've got Scoop. How old is Bubbly Mummy now? Oh, Four years or something? Older than that, I think. Yeah, um, probably five or six and then we've got scooby and our scobies our, our kombuchas i can't remember the names children name all of these things um <laughs> but it's almost whenever there's a batch we talk about it in a way which is oh this is a another pet you know we keep this one alive it could be the kefir um or it could be um yeah a a live ferment of some pumpkins but when you see it bubbling away when you see you know the the, the vitality in food like that i think yeah. it really resonates with me and with and with sort of a young family it's kind of that's one core thing to then take it as a um an added flavor i'm always looking for like umami and sour and bitter and all these different elements to my dishes but there's nothing quite like fermented food as an extra layer in a dish and i and i do quite like playing with that so 
Um, I think my, my favourite moment actually about f- fermentation was not just in all of the wonderful ferment recipes, it's much more how you change the form of it to then be something completely radical. So what I tend to do, if I'm making um, pink pickles, beetroot, sauerkraut, um, some kimchi, or or even yeah, uh, taking some squash or pumpkin and fermenting it, I then like to dehydrate it and turn it into a powder uh, because this goes back to one of my embarrassing, um, you know, food guilty confessions is I I am partial to crisps um, and I have certain favourite flavours of crisp. Now, one of them... I love the fact that you're confessing to that. (laughs) Well, you you teased it out of me with the kebabs. But um, I think it's, it's, you know, like pickled onion monster munch is is one of my favourites. There's plenty of others, but there's something about fermented kimchi that as a powder... If you season that on, you know, your chips or, or a salad, it's got that amazing tangy flavour that you get with some of these mass produced um, crisp suppliers. So and they're also really colourful powders, so you can be quite creative on a plate. And I always like um, plating up dishes so they're very colourful and bright and, and really appetising. Um, so, yeah, dehydrating the powders is, is super cool. Um, and I think as well, everyone's got a fermentation story. Um so I'm always learning new things from people, uh, ideas to try, and it never gets old. It's kind of like really um, a fresh way of cooking because it's relatively young in the mainstream. Yes, there's guys out there and, and ladies who have been fermenting everything forever. But I think that for the for the public, it's kind of a lot of it's new territory. And that is yeah. an amazing, um, you know, sci-fi place to be because the boundaries are so far away you can play with all these ingredients and experiment um so it's it's soup yeah I'm, I'm just moving on to doing some um vegetable charcuterie at the moment for an, another project and it's um it's just how do you you know how do you make carrot charcuterie it's just it that gives me a real buzz to consider fantastic yeah and it's a great thing to do with waste of course yeah um you know it's, it's super sustainable i'm just thinking about your kids your kitchen's make your kitchen sound like a place of alchemy and stories and magic and wonderful colors and strange zingy things and bubbling this and that and the other thing everything lives in your kitchen do the kids eat the kimchi though they they don't really like the kimchi because of the amount of chili and ginger, but they love yeah. the sauerkraut um, and the other yeah. pickles. I think, um, yeah, my youngest is five, and this morning we were sort of doing a pumpkin pie um, and uh, some beetroot bread and some sort of dill butter. And she was in there, you know, a little apron on, working away. But you're right, it is the alchemy, it's the magic of it. And they they still, you know, will have fish fingers um and apparently even though i think my ones are really good they prefer the shop ones than mine so (laughs) they're pretty normal but they are they are aware of all of this sort of wonder in food which which is pretty cool their eyes have been opened and they will stay open your fourth food moment goes right back to your grandfather um and his harvest chutney tell us about that so i think um yeah there's there's sort of a a nostalgia with some favorite dishes that people have and for me i've always been a massive fan of um freshly made bread cheese and chutney and some smoked mackerel pate and maybe a tomato from the garden and i grew up when i visited uh, my grandparents um my my grandpa always used to have various vintages of of every year's chutney 
So you had green tomato chutney, damson chutney, green gauge, all these different things. And it was kind of um, a wonderful complexity of flavour. And just that, you know, absolute transformation of raw seasonal sort of autumnal fruit and veg being turned into something which has got spice and layers and um, sweetness. It was just, and, and having that is has always been very special. So every year I always make chutney um, with various things. Um, so I think that recipe is also one of, it's one of my favourite pitches in the book as well, because um, when you're styling and, and trying to direct and, and shoot food, it can look a bit studio-ish and a bit, you know, um, contrived. But this was one picture where I just had my latest chutney and I was just holding it, um, you know, because I love chutney. <laughs> so it was just hands around a jar of chutney. And it was just a really simple, there's a lot of hipster photos of people <laughs> holding stuff up to a camera and Instagramming it and whatever. But this was just absolute personal love of chutney. Um, lo- you know, my grandpa was massive influence when I was growing up with with slow sort of cooking and food. So, yeah, really nice to to get that in the book. Um and there's, there's plenty of moments that have those memories, but I try not to indulge in it every time because I think it's also about, you know, providing fresh uh, recipes that other people then take own, you know, do twists on. Um, yeah. And I kind of like, instead of just being prescriptive with here are 50 recipes and you have to just follow them, it's trying to give people the tools and the knowledge to make up their own family recipes. That's really, I suppose, my sort of goal because I, I like... Um, I like that notion that you can pass food down, yeah. but it shouldn't be the same everywhere. I think it, that's, yeah, that's what a recipe is all about. Nigella talks about that as well. Yeah. You know, you, she talks a lot about her grandmother's recipes, but that they change all the time. And and the wonderful thing about recipes is that when you put them out to your readers and your audience, and if you're on telly, um, they will change them again. Yeah, and yeah. a recipe is a story. Talking of which, um, tell me about telly. Do you enjoy doing telly? Um, Yes, I do. Um, I didn't. I didn't to begin with. I was kind of always quite shy. Didn't really want to be um, sort of on centre stage like that. And then uh, left university where I'd sort of been doing a degree and then chefing, and found myself working as a TV presenter for for quite a few years. Um, and the thing I really like about it is it enabled me to do lots of travel, meet lots of interesting people um, and share my passion and enthusiasm for what they were doing with an audience. That was great. I think it also, though, inspired me to want to do things for myself rather than just hearing about what other people were doing in in that TV setting. So um, I sort of took, I think, partly because I was very much working a lot with my dad and he moved over to France. Um, so my my sort of father son tv stuff ceased for a bit i then i've went over and been on his escape the chateau show more recently and was meant to be there this summer but lockdown happened um so i i'm not i'm not adverse to like still working with my dad but at the moment i've got quite a few ideas being talked about that go slightly more into artisan food and uh sustainability helping helping people you know reduce eco impact but also have fun so it's something that's been great fun. Um, I think it, it certainly helped in terms of um, confidence, you know, communicating with people. Um, but It does. Do you get feedback, James? Do you think it works? What? That kind of storytelling about changing the national conversation, mm. you know, in the way that Jamie Oliver did. 
perhaps yeah. you know chained got the lads in there yeah. and you are the kind of the latest incarnation of that you know you it's a different message and it's a very important message yeah. um, for now do you get the kind of feedback do you get any sense that it's working yeah i mean yeah at the moment say that this recent title like and and doing artisan food it's kind of it's been quite remarkable having so much um feedback from people who are not just chefs i mean quite a lot of chefs have been sort of nice about about the book and about what i'm talking about but i think it's people who have just started getting into barbecue or smoked food or or fermentation who are really hungry for more knowledge and then they they then share their recipes with me on social media or something and that's just great to see what they're doing um and i think the community around this is growing to be and this goes back to what we started is much more than just hipsters it's kind of people of all ages people living all around the country and even internationally because uh, dk publish quite a lot of countries i'm getting stuff from australia or canada and germany and holland and they're all into the same stuff which is great yeah. and i think it is this shift um where we're all hungry to try it and and the thing is not everything will work for everyone in terms of their lifestyle or or you know their spare time but with the pandemic and recent stuff that's been happening people are at home a bit more and they are thinking about their health and their lifestyle so so much more is possible when you know what the basics are and i think yeah. that's just something that we haven't been taught too much so it's kind of i do hope that it's the thing is i don't like i said i don't want to be campaigny i don't want to try and preach but i do think it would make a massive difference if people did a bit more of this stuff um and it, it and it tastes good it's, if it was a punishment if it was like wearing hemp boxer shorts which i have done um <laughs> uh, and they're, they're all right but the the elastic <laughs> tends to go after a while it's kind of you know i'm not saying you should go and do this otherwise you're a bad person but it's it's worth doing because it's so good and so tasty and fun it's, yeah thanks for listening to cooking the books with me julie smith i'll be back next week with theo michaels who'll be taking us to his family roots in cyprus for a little mediterranean village cooking from his book rustica before we head deep into winter i'll see you then <laughs>